Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Hi, good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us. It's a lovely day here in September. My, how the time goes by. I think Cal Poly's about to start back up. Town is not feeling, uh, doesn't feel like summer's ending now, does it? Yesterday in San Luis, it was 88 degrees. That felt pretty toasty. I don't know what the... I don't know what that. How hot was it in Morro Bay yesterday? Had to be pretty. Well, it depends on who you listen to. If you listen to um, my good buddy Dave Hovde on KSBY, it never gets above seventy. In fact, we're setting records for not getting above seventy in Morro Bay, according to KSBY, I've who been I there. think their thermometer is about ten feet under um, ocean level, maybe out a couple miles offshore. Okay. Um, for those of us who live above water. In Morro Bay, it reaches 70 frequently. In fact, I'm still working off the sunburn from last weekend, from when it was so nice. I just felt like sitting on my deck and nice. um, enjoying those rays that were over 70 degrees. So, you know, I it's um, it's been in the in the mid 70s in Morro Bay. It's been nice, That's really warm. nice. Yeah, it's warm for Morro Bay. It's apparently yeah, it's <laughs> it's very infrequent, um, according to some sources. Very infrequent. I bet the average summer day temperature in Morro Bay is in the 60s, though. The Maybe average? Maybe in the low 60s. Prob. I mean, if are we talking like day and night average? Like that kind no, of thing? No, like just average. Like the 2 let's, p.m. Let's average. go like May to September. May to, yeah, May to September and just take the like, yeah, the, the 2 p.m. average. That's a great way to put it. I bet okay. it is somewhere in the low 60s. I don't I, know how we could do that. I would bet mid 60s. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice weather. You guys have nice weather. It's nice, yeah. It's like I like it. Tascadero last night was like, you know, ninety something degrees when I got home. That's that's pretty hot. That's that's warm. <laughs> yeah. There was yeah, it's warm. That's a lot hotter. Tascadero's supposed to be a triple digit today, I think, isn't it? Whew. Going it's to the right. lake. That'll that'll oh, help yeah, with that'll something. Help. Yeah. There you go. At least when you're boiling hot, so you, you can moved hop in the from water. Los Osos to a Tascadero. That's oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my fog babies are now um, experiencing what it's like to live in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, Los Osos, there's a lot of fog there. Um, maybe even more than Morro Bay. I would say so. I think so. And <laughs> yeah. uh, But it's the winters that are amazing. The summers is when all the fog's around. and. Yeah. You know, this is about the time of year where it starts to change so and really we start to, to get the, and the clear, nice, yeah, nice weather. And at least the Tascadero has all the sewers installed. Well, they're working on it. Working on it. Those roads <laughs> are pretty it. beat Give up. Give it right a couple now. years. Okay. So, um, fall is coming. It is. And it doesn't feel like fall yet. It is coming. It's coming in two weeks. Yeah. So this is nice weather. I, this is kind of. I think nature's giving us this last like weekend. Hurrah. Maybe last couple weekends here to get out and do something nice. I hope you guys are enjoying it. All right. Well, uh, gosh, I was 
Do we have a guest coming on today? I don't think there's a guest. I don't think so. You and me. Sat down and got all my notes all prepped out. And I uh, was kind of excited about this. It was a, it was a pretty jam-packed week as far as economic data goes. Um, you know, most, most of what we were looking for this week was, I think everything had this kind of underlying affiliation with whether or not the feds are going to announce their taper in two weeks. And uh, knowing that this meeting is such an important meeting, I mean, it could really, it could really change the current landscape of the economy quite a bit. And uh, so anyway, as we, we learned about employment numbers, unemployment claims, we learned about jobs created, payrolls, non-farm payrolls, the feds released their beige book. We picked up some manufacturing data. There was quite a bit of stuff, and every single piece I read, I couldn't help but kind of try to score it as to whether or not the feds are going to tally this stuff. And then I started wondering, do you think it is? Do you think it really works that way? Do you think they are so concerned with the data from this week, or do you feel like the uh, the news that they have? the ideas they have, the, their representation from across the country has really already determined that the tapering's going down in September. And were they just trying to be firm enough to tell us that, it was, that it's coming? I don't know that there's, I, I don't believe that there's a predetermined plan. In fact, it, if you take uh, Chairman Bernanke for his word, he's said as much. He's, he's right. said that we don't have a predetermined plan as recently as the last, Two or three he, press conferences. He kind of started to say that, though, in response to touching onto maybe a, a loose-formed plan that caused some pretty big turmoil in the market. Well, he's been pretty clear that there's there's criteria they're looking at. One, the most notable, probably being the unemployment rate, and and maybe on a bigger picture, the the whole employment, you know data spectrum not just the unemployment rate the the claims everything he's taking all that into account but the employment piece of the economy is really the what they're focused on they want to see the other economic numbers improving are they looking at this week's data as the trigger to make adjustments to the monetary policy no i don't think so they probably I think look at a bigger trend this is the most recent pieces the, these are the most recent pieces of data but i think they're going to be looking at what the trend is and how we're progressing and what the pace of the recovery is i think sure. it's it's all of those things um and i don't know that there was a lot of clarity after this week i think as we have seen over this entire recovery the data has been mixed right and it was no different this week. It was very mixed. It was a, there were point, parts of the employment picture that looked better, but there were other parts that seemed like we still have a ways to go. So I don't know that there was clarity here. I'm excited for you to point me in the right direction of those better parts because, um, admittedly, I didn't dive super far into this one. Didn't feel much better to me. Um, I I noticed that we had the lowest participation rate as far as people being counted and seeking active employment or being actively employed the lowest rate since 1978. And, you know, I, I, I try to, that's the year I was born. <laughs> so I don't have a whole lot of context to it, 
but try to think back to it. You know, you want to know things were different in 1978. Um, 1978, women were a lot less likely to be participating in the employment market than they are today. That's a fact. That's one of the changes that's happened in our in the demographics of our jobs market altogether. So today's economy to me is like it was participation wise is like it was when we didn't even have like almost an entire gender being gainfully employed. So when you kind of look at it like that, it feels plus we've got, um, yeah, anyways, that's kind of my point that there's, there's such a low participation rate. It's hard to grasp the context of, of what that really means to everybody. I got a question for you, Jason. With all the stuff that's going on like in the Middle East right now, do you see the economy changing because of maybe gas prices going up and fuel and stuff like that? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, everybody's paying attention to what's going on in Syria. And we've seen the markets begin to react a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I can't yet make heads or tails personally of what I believe about Syria. <laughs> I don't know. Well, specific mm-hmm. to the question of gas prices, We've seen gas price volatility for a while now. We've seen it fluctuate between three and a half dollars a gallon to four and a half dollars a gallon. And currently we're kind of in the lower end of that range. Well, and remember, it really hasn't seemed to have a huge effect on economic activity. Yeah. Remember, I we're about to we're about to retire that premium summer blend that we've all uh, been paying a little extra for. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> I say that kind of sarcastically. The funny thing is, is that, yeah, there there, there absolutely has been a lot of gas volatility. And um, the gas and commodities, that, that's been a volatile thing, watching the price of gold for the last few months. And a lot of it was in terms of um, if gold and or other commodities were a good hedge against inflation, or a, a good hedge against uh, a troubled economy that we might those were kind of safe haven. Um, it that's not really been the case. That it hasn't functioned in the way that I think like the the old school metrics suggest that it would. <laughs> if we did start some kind of a, a bombing run next week or something, yeah, I think we're gonna see the cost of oil and consequently gas go up. I gotta believe there's also a little bit of that already being priced in. And so mm-hmm. I joked about that summer blend, but maybe it's the, they're as they're phasing the summer blend, prices are just kind of staying normal because of that added strain on the Middle East. Um, a, a tricky thing, though, and, and it certainly has been, uh, the markets have been almost distracted in, in everything else that's been going on as they, they continue to watch the, the developments in Syria. As far as economic activity goes in relation to gas, I don't. I haven't seen a strong correlation at all. In fact, the the consumer seems to be seems to be holding back for other reasons. Um, and we we had another report of that this week. The back to school sales this season were pretty weak. Um, retailers are posting disappointing revenue during the month, which is, I mean, this is supposed to be one of the big months for retailers when, when families are prepping for back to school, buying new clothes, buying supplies, um, just get, getting ready for that, 
season and, and we're not seeing people going out and spending money, um, I think it has less to do with gas and more to do with the employment picture. I think that what we're seeing is for five years, we're seeing wages stay flat or actually decrease when you start looking at inflation, um, which inflation hasn't even been that big. So we're just really seeing wages decline. And a lot of that has to do with people who are getting back into labor, into the labor force or getting jobs that are worse than what they had five years ago. Right. Um, you know, I think a couple weeks or a month ago or so, I shared a statistic that about two thirds of the jobs that have been gained over these last several years have been lower paying jobs, the lower paying hospitality. Yeah. It's ho hospitality and service industries, which don't pay as much as the technical type of jobs. And, and that's really the problem. It, it's not about gas. People are going to buy gas. I, that's kind of what I've found over these last five years of gas volatility. And really gas has been volatile since I mean, it's always going up. It's always changing pretty dramatically. It seems like people need to get to where they're going and we use cars until we find another way to get to where we're going um, on a daily basis. We're going to buy gas when we need it, regardless of the price. Well, and you know, the, the other thing about gas that that's been kind of just traditionally true is that when the economy looks strong and we're going to be building more and buying more and demanding more that 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 demand on the gas system will drive those prices up and so that is a usually when when that bright spot in the economy does look like it's six or 12 months out and we're gonna round that corner and be doing good you usually do see gas kind of start to nose up at that point um so it's interesting a lot of these a lot of these headlines suggest that we're getting there. I mean, really, I was thinking you're setting me up for saying why we're not getting there, because here we are in those summer months <laughs> when gas is typically more expensive. And you're yet, right. I just filled up this morning three eighty five a gallon, which seems kind of low. Maybe I'm just getting used you're conditioned to, to paying I, I too am. much. But you know I what? I've filled up with gas over four dollars a gallon way too often. Um, so three eighty five feels like relief at the pump. Um, and here we are still just after the biggest one of the biggest travel weekends of the year, Labor Day weekend, um, gas felt affordable today, which makes yeah. and, and then all these economic reports that we're seeing that are kind of meh, um, makes me feel like maybe we're not six to 12 months out from brighter, a brighter tomorrow. And I wonder if the Fed is thinking that, too. Right. Um, so. Oh, this is exciting. We've teasing the job stuff. Obviously, we're going to talk fully about it. I'm wanting to talk to you more about this bond taper thing. And, you know, I was kind of kind of begging you to, to come out and say whether or not you think that there's is some kind of a plan or if this data is going to influence them. You know how I love me some Bill Gross. Um, <laughs> Bill Gross. He's a manager of the world's largest bond fund, PIMCO. Um, dude's made... He's another guy I'd really like to be tracking these predictions and stuff. He's made some pretty outrageous moves in the market and got himself and some of his funds clobbered. He's actually at times done quite well for himself, too. Um, he has an opinion uh, in terms of the data that's come out this week as to whether or not the feds are going to implement a taper after the 16th and 17th meeting of this month. So 
we'll we'll uh, talk more about that. I do want to queue up a break here, get out and take some time to thank the sponsors. You can go refill your coffee. Make sure you get back. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to do all this this job stuff when we get back from the break. So stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. We all have friends and family, people we know and trust. But when it comes to something as complicated and important as a mortgage, you need advice from a true financial expert. At Central Coast Lending, we commonly meet with people who received bad advice from someone they know and trust. Remember, no one has ever lost money from a second opinion. So before you sign, let Central Coast Lending take a look at your loan. Call us today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. I, I love the colorful clothes you wear. And the way the sunlight plays upon her head. I hear the sound of a gentle on the way that lifts her perfume through the air. All right, everybody, welcome back. Got some Beach Boys going on. These guys are awesome, they never even served. I loved me some Beach Boys growing up. You know, I had a, a neighbor family next door when we moved to Big Bear that was, um, dad was a cool guy. He was a firefighter and like a, um, he was kind of a gearhead and he built stuff and had like cool old cars with high gloss paint on them. And when we would go somewhere with them, um, he had a cute daughter with some cute friends and they would sing all those old songs. They were all into it. And they, they, you know, were putting on little sock hop type things with poodle dresses or whatever they were called. And 
that's what it always reminds me of. That wasn't something that I had listened to growing up in my house, but I do. I still love it, maybe just for different reasons. It's great music. That's good. It is. It's just fun. Yeah. I fun do think music. it's funny though. All yeah. those songs about surfing and none and they of them never ever did it. So. Let's go surfing now. I no. think the drummer no. dude went surfing one time just so that he could say, "Yeah, I've surfed." Yeah, there you go. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> hey, so uh, man, there's a lot to talk about. My mind's going in a million directions, but let's just let's just kind of start here at the basics and talk a little bit about. Um, jobless stuff this was a this was a really big week for the jobless claims payrolls um unemployment number so first and foremost initial jobless claims um because this is the one we do talk about every single week the others feel like the outlier um initial jobless claims this week we expected 330 new claims um it, we were at 332 uh fell to 323 blowing away people's expectations you know i was kind of surprised by that let me tell you why number one is i hear all these other reports and it doesn't sound like consumers are out spending a ton of dough they're not like even like you said in the back to school shopping um it doesn't feel like it's really like so ramped up that i kind of thought you know summer's wearing to an end school's starting in most places this month they probably are scaling things back, knowing that less families are going to be into frequent midday. And I would just expect that businesses and restaurants and hotels and stuff would begin to to begin their kind of seasonal layoffs. And and those kind of layoffs, by the way, seasonal layoffs at restaurants and hotels and stuff, that's a really popular one for where um, jobless claims show up. When a kid quits his summertime job, there's no unemployment that gets counted in that. Um, so I expected that we would see that number pop and I, and it kind of seems like I stood alone in that cause analysts really expected to see it fall by just 2000 and then surprise, surprise, it fell by more than triple what they expected. It fell by 7,000 and I kind of was like, huh, that's interesting. Uh, kind of a surprise. Don't really know what to make of it other than less people got laid off than I thought would. And so that's a good one. That four-week moving average is well below 350,000 now. It's it's been uh, said this last week on the show. The the weeks of surprising increases in unemployment benefit are by far the outlier. It's dumbfounding us to the downside every week now, and that's a good thing. Um, so no doubt the Feds are going to take that into consideration as they evaluate tapering. Um, and so that that kind of sums up the regular update on the jobless claims. The next couple is um, ADP. Do you know what the uh, ADP stands for? I'm sure you're going to tell me. I don't remember. It's automated data payroll or something. It's uh, it's a payroll provider. For AD, the, yeah. ADP is a payroll, a big payroll private provider. payroll, and they just they they serve so many payroll. Um, do the payroll for so many companies. They've got some pretty reliable data. Um, they were expected, as far as employment changes go, they were expected lower um, at 170,000, and they came in actually 178,000. And so that was close enough to expectations, not a real head scratcher. ADP comes out the day before the employment situation report comes out, typically on the first Friday of the month. So that's kind of a 
it's almost a way to just kind of place a bet, you know, have a have one one statistic come out that might give you an idea of what's likely to happen in the morning. And so that one being pretty close to right where it needed to be. And um, then, of course, you have the the full-on employment report that comes out. The Department out. of Labor. Yep. Yeah. So I, I have a few comments about that. What I saw, I, I knew this was going to be a volatile week. In fact, we we talked about it early on in the week, that this was going to be a market-moving week because this is the last unemployment or employment report before the big September meeting for, mm -hmm. of the feds. The feds are going to meet um, Tuesday and Wednesday, not next week, but the week after. Um, so we're going to, we're going to figure out if all the speculation from three months ago is in fact correct, if they are going to change some of their bond and treasury buying. Um, so this is a big, a big report. And what I saw leading up to Friday was a lot of anticipation of a really good jobs report. We saw that 10 year treasury yield get all the way up to 3%. In fact, I think it peaked at 3.005%, which is, I don't know the last time it was above three. Um, so you could see that the market was anticipating. I was scared of it all report. week. In fact, when jobless claims came out on Thursday and I watched that 10 year yield make its first run towards three, my stomach kind of dropped and I went, Oh my God, if this report is good tomorrow, which data lately has been mixed enough that I wouldn't have been surprised if we added some record setting 295,000 jobs, you know, I'd have been in the same place I am. I don't see it around me, but must be true. Holy cow. Um, so I was nervous about it. I truly was. And so then the data actually pops on Friday and, and you could see, you, you know how the market took it. The market was disappointed. Markets were very disappointed in the figures. Immediately, the bond yield drops back down. There's there's immediate relief, um, and, it, and it fell back down. A little bit of relief in, in mortgage rates we saw on Friday because of this report. And what we saw was um, a couple of things. We saw some adjustments to the number of jobs added for previous months. Yeah, June and July were revised down, and that may have actually been more telling and more problematic than the rest of the data together. The fact that, um, but so here's the interesting thing. So much of the GDP in our country is based on, um, it's kind of on a whim. It's on a hunch, it's on a feeling, it's on your confidence, right? So if you've had the, the data having you believe that things are good and you don't need to worry it's moving in the right direction and we're recovering, then maybe you'll dust off the checkbook this weekend and go spend a little bit of money. You're going out to spend money based on your confidence. We'll put a little bit of extra dough in the till at the local business and he'll be able to add that guy he's been considering adding. So you get this kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy here just based on a whim and and so my point is you can create a whim the government can create a whim by saying june's great july is great august is great everybody feel good about this but then we caught the august numbers and they said you know bad news you guys june and july were actually worse than than what we had previously told you and given that you know 
those months are already passed, but we're about to go into this Fed meeting. It, it happens in, uh, gosh, less than 10 days now. It's nine days away. They're going to have to stare down the barrel of the fact that June and July weren't as good as they hoped. And August is, um, though there is some mixed part to it, this doesn't look good. No, up to this point, the average number of jobs gained per month this year was uh, 192,000 per month. And the August numbers showed less than 170,000 jobs gained. And those other numbers for previous months revised downward as well. So we're below the pace that we had set earlier in the year. The other problem is the quality of jobs, which we, we've been talking about a lot. The quality is not there. The, much of the growth is in the lower paying occupations, the service sector jobs, the restaurants and retailers, um, which you know people who are out of work are happy to have work, but it's, it's not the job gains where it's gonna leave these folks with a lot of extra disposable income. And during the break, we were kind of talking about some of the buying patterns that we're seeing, which I find very interesting and I think really telling of what's going on in the jobs market. It's, it's, it's um, support that, that the quality of jobs just is not there. We had some numbers come out about auto sales and auto sales actually had a really good month, a really good report. New car sales jumped 17% year over year in August um, to the highest level we've seen in six years. In fact, all of the, the big automakers, Toyota, Ford, Nissan, Honda, Chrysler, GM, all of them posted double digit gains um, year over year for August. In so, new car sales. So, that's so really here good. you have. That's a big ticket item for a household, a new car. People buying cars. Yeah. And, and the by the way, in terms of the new car thing, if you go on the Internet and look at anything related to cars today, what you see is we have the average age of cars on U.S. roads is over 11 years, almost 11 and a half years. It's trumping most searches to do with auto today. Um, that's impressive. It doesn't surprise me at all. Um, people are limping cars a little bit longer now. Uh, squeeze those extra miles out of them. And I love it. Like you, you hear like the AutoZone commercials, change your oil and get a little bit more mileage out of your car. Um, that I was, I wanted to go look and see what the average um, years on road was for a car in 2005. Cause I suspect it was a lot less uh, but so 11 years is a pretty good run, but you said earlier, um, that back to school retailers were su suggesting that they were disappointed that the consumer didn't come out to shop and stock up on those tr in that traditionally, um, high gain season. So yeah, we're and not you buying the little stuff. Right. And you look back months prior and the retail sales numbers haven't, you haven't heard of a great retail sales number in a while only because of gas <laughs> right gas has taken away all of our disposable income i i think it's not so much gas i mean gas is a component of that we have to spend money to get to our jobs so we have to buy gas um that only puts more pressure on on what we have to spend on the things we want to spend it on um but you're right the the retail sales have been weak and in this busy back to school season they've been described as weak Retailers are disappointed with the revenue, and those are smaller items. Those are, you know, 20 bucks here, five bucks there, you know, buying new pencils, buying a new pair of shoes, new pair of jeans for the kids. Um, those, th that's, when I look at all these, these different numbers with 
with the consumerism patterns, I'm seeing that people are buying the things that they need, not that they necessarily want. We're I don't need the new car because the car can still get me to where I need to go. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the car I have a little bit longer, like you said. Only, you know, we we've hit some pretty high years on road that has prompted some people to go out and buy cars cars this month. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's gotten up to a a level that we haven't seen since 2007. But you could see from some of the other numbers that we're not just going out and buying haphazardly it's a very targeted consumer i'm going out and buying what i need i need car a car today so i'm gonna go get a car but i'm not just gonna go take the family out to dinner because i feel like it or i'm not gonna go buy the whole family new clothes for school because i i want them to look great you know we've got good clothes we're gonna send them to school and what they have that's kind of what it feels like for needs more than for wants yeah which and i think that speaks to the quality of jobs that people are getting and the quality of pay people are receiving and we're just we're not seeing the pay keep up with the price of goods. Uh, we're not seeing the new jobs added be the great jobs. So then you look at the the big number. Where where are you gonna where is all this gonna come out? It's gonna come out in the GDP because GDP is seventy percent consumer based. That's that's right. what our economy is largely based on is is um, consumption. And GDP shocked me last week when the latest reading was at 2.5%, which is actually a decent number. Um, But most economists are in agreement that GDP has only worsened since the end of the second quarter. So I think when you really step back and look at the employment and the spending picture, that it's not a great picture. So what's the Fed going to do? Check it out. This is where I want to tell you about my buddy, Bill Gross. Bill Gross, as I said before, he manages PIMCO, which is a, a the biggest bond mutual fund um, here on American soil, uh, maybe in the world. And he said that the feds um, will go ahead with the plan to reduce the asset purchase despite a disappointing jobs report. He said... He thinks that Bernanke and company are committed to a taper, that they've decided that they're going to taper. And if anything, some of the data that's coming out this week is going to convince them maybe to err on the lighter side as they begin giving us a taste of what taper is going to look like and feel like over the long haul. Um, But the fact that you know, this all this stuff is coming out. It is still a really challenging market. No one's positive how to navigate it, but he believes firmly that we're going to hear the announcement of some kind of a taper. Um, and I wonder if the rest of the market at a whole kind of believes that on account of when the jobs report came out yesterday, I would have really thought the bond yield would fall, fall a lot farther. I, I thought I thought to myself that if we've gained really at this point now we're gained about 140 basis points compared to what the most recent like normal zone was in that in that benchmark yield the 10-year bond so if it's gone up that much uh and it's the data isn't perfectly conclusive that we're definitely out of the woods and we must have tapering sooner than later then would it go back by half 
70 basis points could it maybe let maybe it'll just go by a quarter and it'll just go down by 35 basis points and then i thought yeah that that feels about right maybe like a quarter like we're still three quarters of the way there so maybe like a drop by 30 30 basis points maybe take us back to 270 range Eh, we dropped to like 293 we dropped 10 points in the morning and it started recovering kind of all day after that and at the end of the day even though it was you know basically six six basis points lower than it started the day felt like the market said doesn't matter don't care about that bad jobs report this isn't going to affect the plan as a whole it's put one foot and forward to the other and we're marching towards higher rates. We're marching towards a taper. We're marching towards getting off of all this government stimulus. And um, that's that's kind of how the momentum feels to me right now. And you know what? It's not altogether a bad plan because even though the jobs we're creating kind of suck, they're not very good. They're not head of household. They're not leaving the consumer with lots of discretionary income. We're not even creating enough of them, but we've we've got enough pieces now kind of, you know, if you picture the motor firing on all cylinders, we got initial jobless claims slipping and being surprisingly good. We have the unemployment rate falling, though largely because of a participation rate. The public at large sees the number reduce anyway. We see some jobs being created. We got some things just going on. And is that enough to create the, that, the whim in the consumer to go out and spend, which allows us to have the better jobs and allows us to take and make all the, those progressive steps? Potentially. That, yeah, and that's the question. And I, I think you look at the market, the, the bond market in particular, and we've seen an increase in the, in the benchmark rate by about a percent and a half. The 10-year Treasury note yield has gone up a percent and a half since May. Um, and that's a lot. Those markets are usually looking forward six to 12 months. So what the markets are saying today are six months from now, we're going to be, whether tapering's done or we're still in the middle of it, we're going to be tapering. So whether it happens in September or not really is irrelevant. Inconsequential. It doesn't matter because definitely six months from now, we're going to see a different um, Fed plan being carried out. And I think that I think that what happens in September, it really doesn't matter. We're going to start easing on the spending. It's going to happen, whether it's $20 billion a month starting in September or 10 or zero, and we wait until later in the year. It doesn't matter. It's going to happen eventually. The markets are already have already priced it in. So if the Fed comes out in September and says, in, in a couple weeks and says, you know, we're going to we're going to start to ease off by 10 or 20 billion dollars a month. I don't think you're going to see any dramatic change in 10 year note yields or not much spending employment. I don't really think any of that's going to change because we've already we're already anticipating it. Well, on Bloomberg TV this week, there's a show called uh, In the Loop and there's a L. Arian was on there and this was a quote. I liked it about yesterday's um, jobless employment report, I should call it. Today's number tells you that we're still in second gear, even though the U.S. can be driven at a much higher speed. I don't get that. <laughs> How are they suggesting that we shift 
can we shift? Are we ready to go faster? It doesn't seem so. And basically, bottom line is, is that there, there aren't great choices for the Fed right now. What can they do? All of the tricks are deployed. We're we're in it. It's it's the whole. This is the whole shebang. It's everything they know how to do, short of make negative interest rates. We're drawn to the end of the uh, tapering stuff, and, and maybe maybe the key to shifting is is backing off. Maybe that is what's holding us back right now. Perhaps letting off the e brake. <laughs> hey, we're gonna do a commercial break here, and then we'll be back in just a few more minutes. And uh, we yeah uh, we got we got a lot to go here. There's still a lot to talk about. I'm still excited. Nowhere near out of stuff to talk about. Stick with us after this break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. When it comes to your mortgage, do you pay points or do you take the no-cost loan? Don't let your loan officer or banker choose for you. At Central Coast Lending, we help you decide. Numbers don't lie. We teach you to do the math so you can cut through the salesmanship and get the best loan for you. Because we can't be beat, we'll even teach you how to shop and compare other offers. We don't charge upfront fees, and we value every client. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Switch to State Farm and you can save. Find out more in San Luis Obispo. Call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're real glad that you're with us here. We got uh, 12 minutes until the top of the hour. That's when we get forced out for the mandatory breaks. It'll be a great time to take some of your phone calls. So we'll open up the phone lines. I know you probably just heard the number, but in case you missed it, 543 8830 
543-8830. We'd love to hear from you. You can call in and ask a question, share a comment, um, kind of whatever, open forum. Let's take a call here. We got Don calling from Morro Bay. Good morning. Hey, guys. Always enjoy your show when I'm able to sit down and listen to it on Saturday. Thank I you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, my comment is I don't, I don't believe GDP is a good economic indicator anymore. It, previously, it meant that we were buying goods from each other, so the money went round and round. Now we're buying goods from offshore industry, China, Korea, Canada, Mexico, etc. Profits go to New York stockholders, and a lot of that money is also offshore. In any case, it doesn't go to the American wages. It's a hmm. great point. It's a great point. Um, what I've, I, I don't know that I really have anything else to offer because I think it's a great point. What I saw this morning in the paper that I thought was interesting and made me feel a little bit better about the future of maybe some of the, the way we do business today is that at this G20 meeting um, recently, the world leaders are interested in trying to get the multinational corporations um, to pay more taxes and they and so basically saying that they can't hide profits offshores anymore and and skirt tax issues that they're going to try to figure out a way to make these huge companies pay their fair share which may disincentivize this um offshoring of jobs and manufacturing and things then like that then we're just going to have a bank like up at the space station where they're like <laughs> you know able to to have their deposits and banking happen there and not have to pay the universe tax once you put the earth tax on them they're going to get out into the milky way yeah instead of globalism we'll call that uh, instead of offshore we'll call that off globe yes off globe trading <laughs> you hey, know what's coming can i make another comment yeah sure. please Okay, have you ever overlaid um, the economy or, or with the Dow? Um, like the GDP? They, it used to, they used to follow each other. One followed the next. And <laughs> it was only a few months that the market went up and then the economy. Now you overlay them and they're totally disconnected. <laughs> and I think it's absolute, again, an indicator of how everything has gone global. Yeah, what you you haven't seen the U.S. economy double in the last uh, couple of years, Ex like the Dow? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and overlay those ever since the New York Stock Exchange, or just go over the past forty years and watch how they follow each other and how they're now disconnected. But don't you think also though that people that were investing in stocks thirty years ago were forced to sit down and look at the balance sheets and the read about the R, the R and um, the research and development going on at these different companies and, and actually make really informed decisions on whether or not um, to be an investor in a company. Whereas today I got a bunch of buddies that all own stock and they're, they're traders. They're not investors. They don't know anything about the company that they're buying and they just know that it's going to go up in value. And I, I wonder if that's been the bigger disconnect is the when you used to buy stock like when my grandfather was buying stock he was buying stock in a company because of its earning potential he was investing in its future and was paid um appropriately if they were profitable with their extra capital and these kind of things today um none of these investors know anything about that well they're not investors like you said they're traders they're trying to get a pop in a in a day or a week or a month or a year 
And, and it used to be, yeah, like you said, you would look at a company, maybe a new invention or something that was going to make a lot of money, and you would put your money in that company because you knew it was going to gain. Yeah. So perhaps it's disconnected a little bit because when, you know, if you look at the Dow, the, those businesses that, that comprise the Dow are so largely based on the economy that the market is going to track along with that of the national economy kind of through the good and the bad. When you take the the context of the investment into the stock market is no longer actually the company um, or its potential. Um, it's really just a bet at that point that creates a, a feeding frenzy. Um, then uh -huh. the company is profitable or not, um, almost in spite of the economy, and they kind of fall farther apart. I, I just, to me, it's a really fascinating thing, and I wonder if it's because of the ease of trading, um, the ease of being able to to get in and, and watch the Dow on your phone any minute of the day, <laughs> and to make execute trades from your phone that are so inexpensive. If if just that overall access of it has made it more um, easier to manipulate, and that's why we disconnect. In addition to the fact that there's all these global strains. Yeah, and keep in mind that these the major stockholders have really become become a minimal uh, uh, percent of our society. You've heard the comment one percent. We didn't used to hear that. I mean, maybe it was twenty percent, and then fifteen percent as the middle class uh, disappears. And now they're talking about mathematically that there is a one percent, and they are gathering the cash. <laughs> they they yeah. are able. Yeah, and it's and it's global. I imagine if you could take the global economy, maybe the global GT, GDP, and overlay it, maybe that would be closer to the Dow. But I don't think so because I think the money is going uh, to a super minority. Agreed. Yeah, Dave, Don, thanks so much for your call today. Really appreciate your participation. We're gonna go ahead and. Uh, do the phone call thing for a couple more minutes. If you want in on it, it's 543-8830. This is the time. Call in, ask a question, share your comment. Let's go ahead and take Matt calling from San Luis. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Good morning. Good morning. Beautiful day here today in San Luis Obispo, like usual. Yes. Uh, yeah, I wanted to make a comment on what you said. Uh, a lot of, Most of the guys are traders nowadays on the market. Well, there are a couple of, uh, traditionally, there are there are two styles of investing, uh, one being the growth style and the other one being the value style. The growth one is the one that believes that the stock will go up. Value, value uh, uh, investing is more in the fundamentals, looking at the fundamentals, how well is the company doing, what's its, uh, what's its uh, profitability and what have you. Warren Buffett, by the way, is a value style investor. So people who are more conservative in one sense might say might want to um, might want to do more value style investing and and you can buy mutual funds that specifically state that they are growth oriented or that they are value oriented. So that's one way for people to be able to uh, buy the type of investments if they want to be growth oriented or look at the fundamental uh, value of the stocks inherently. So that's my comment. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Bye. that. So, we're at that awkward time here of just a few minutes remaining um, before the break. Employment stuff, pretty well wrapped up. Doesn't sound great. 
I didn't really see too much of the bright spot. We revised the previous two months down. Um, all this in light of the fact that the feds in nine days are going to sit down and, and attempt to shape policy. You brought up a good point a little while ago. Um, I think it was during the last break. A lot of people are still confused, though. The The feds reducing their buying of these um, bonds, whether it's mortgage-backed securities or treasury bonds, there's a mix of different fixed securities that are in there, okay? Their idea of tapering out and beginning to slow down the rate they're acquiring these at does not increase interest rates. It's, this is not the prime rate going up. This is not all of a sudden overnight you expect that everything's going to get more expensive. The feds keep a separate interest rate, that overnight rate, discount rate, benchmark rate. That is a totally separate deal, and they've not talked yet about manipulating that rate at all. Well, in fact, they they have said that they will not touch that Overnight lending rate until tapering is and, fully dissolved. Right, exactly. Yeah. Until they stop the treasury and mortgage-backed security. So that purchasing. being said, what's the big deal? Are we? And and I want to ask you this: um, Are we a little bit too sensitive to it based on what we do for a living and how you and I we are watch? for sure? Okay. We definitely are. What about Joe Public? Joe Public doesn't care as much about this tapering thing. It doesn't affect the day-to-day operation of their family unit or their job or whatever um it doesn't matter it's not going to be seen in their day-to-day lives so whatever they, they could care less it's not that big of a deal we've already what's interesting is we've already seen mortgage rates change based on speculation of how the fed is going to change policy the fed didn't do anything right not doing anything just speculation but of, it would of be, change made interest rates. But it would be sneaky for them <laughs> to show up on August 17th for their quick deal and say, oh, the economy, the economy is growing modestly or moderately or some, some variation of the word that everyone will hang on. And by the way, we've decided to scale back our bond buying this month and we're immediately buying $20 billion less per month. Everyone would freak out. This would be totally counterintuitive to the Fed's desire to be more transparent and gain credibility and let everybody know what they're thinking and what they're up to. So the point is, they started teasing us about this. They started saying, hey, you guys, this is on the horizon. This is something we're talking about. This is the fact is we're going to have to bail out of this sooner or no, sooner or later right now, uh, based on data. If the data keeps going in the direction it's going, we're going to start to slow this thing down and see if if the market can bear us bailing out altogether. If it can't, we'll deal with it as it happens, but we think it's going to happen sometime later in the year. That really wasn't a shot across the bow. It was intended to be like a heads up. This is what we're working on. And instead, we really overreacted. So it's a good time. Guys, this is the few minute break here for the top of the hour. We'll be back. We have a whole nother hour to go with you and still lots more to talk about. Stick around. We'll enjoy to have you with us for the next hour of Mortgage Matters. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is the 11 o'clock hour now. It's 11.05. So 
for those of you newbies, you don't what you don't realize is this is our original hour, so this is the one we're still a lot better at. This segment's gonna be way better than that first hour was. Dang. How long have we been doing two hours? It's been a while. Like four year, four like years now? Two, no. Three years now. <laughs> Probably like two. You guys warm them up really good in the first hour though. And this is the one with just all the bang going on. It's really great. Yeah. That's what Yeah, like right now yeah. people are starting to remember, oh yeah, they're I know what the unemployment number is. I I care about that. Coffee sinking in, getting all fired up. I feel like it takes a little while to get my mind like functioning. And sadly, sometimes in the morning on Saturday morning, um I this microphone gets kicked on and it's some of the first words I'm uttering for the day. <laughs> so I kind of still have that smooth you know the deep jazz voice. <laughs> Wow. Then it wears all it goes real raspy in the <laughs> Yeah, then I just talk right through it and it's just wow. Um so jobs thing pretty well buttoned up. I think we talked all about that stuff. Um the uh other little tidbits of things that was going on in the economy. Um manufacturing numbers came out this week. And we learned that U.S. manufacturing grew at its fastest pace in more than two years. Sounds like we probably made something. Um, and now we've really set some expectations for faster overall U.S. growth for the second half of the year. You were talking about GDP. Things not looking so hot. The fact is that when manufacturing posts gains, this is to suggest that this is going to be a hot year. Sure. Yeah. Um, totally hot. I think that that's one of those numbers that you get wrapped up in the headline and it's not really what <laughs> what it's made out to be. This manufacturing index, I believe it's a scale from zero to 100. Below 50 is signaling contraction in manufacturing and above 50 is, con is um, indicating growth. growth. The index jumped it 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 like superman style jumped uh, up to 55.7 dude so that's the highest in two years right yeah it's like barely into the growth end of this scale i don't so, think it get, i don't think it gets very much higher than that anyway and, <laughs> and and i don't i'm not sure if i under if i'm right about this or not but that manufacturing index i don't think goes clear to 100 I think it goes to like 83 or 8. My point is we're barely above that halfway point. Yeah, well, and I always joke, you know, 50-something's an F. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> if, that, if that is a, on a scale of, uh, you know, how you'd get marked in grade school, that's one where my dad would be like, go out there and break some some uh, limbs off the tree there, son. Not yeah. a very good number. I don't think that's a great number. Um, as far as as GDP goes, I, you know, we we had that reading last last week where it went from below two percent to now we think it's at two and a half percent. Total shocker, but most economists think that it's it's weakened here in the third quarter, so that's not great. Our just to keep things on a good track, we want GDP to be. 3%, maybe, maybe more. Um, we're not there. We're not there right now. And that's, that's part of the problem. Some of that goes back to the spending um, of the consumer that we were talking about. 
Some of it has to do with, with where the goods are coming from that we're buying, as, as Don pointed out, called in from Morro Bay. Um, so there's, there's some different aspects to that GDP number, but all in all, it's just not a fantastic number. It's improving, but it's not great. So I think that's where the mediocrity of our economic recovery comes, comes in is that, you know, that's where we really see it is that GDP number. Um, but I still don't think that any of these numbers are going to change the Fed's mind. I think they're on a course. They kind of know what the plan is. And we're either going to see some tapering or not. I don't think it's going to have a big impact on the day-to-day lives of, of American, the American Joe public. Um, and whether it happens this, this month or next month or the month after, it doesn't matter. It's going to be happening before the year's over. And um, it's going to be done by the middle of next year. That's what we do now. So check this piece out. Lowe's. You're familiar with Lowe's, right? I am. Chief executive. Not at all what I was supposed to say. Chief executive officer, Robert Niblock, said that um, the growth depends on how much higher mortgage rates affects Americans buying decisions. So it's tying this into the mortgage rate saying that. Um, the stronger than expected pace of home improvement industry growth so far this year um, is fed by modestly stronger gains in housing turnover and job growth. Um, housing turnover. I can see it. Fixing up those R- the REOs, the bank-owned stuff, the little rehab, short sales even, typically. I think anybody People buys a house. People who move into a new house want to, I mean, there's always in. something that just has the flavor of the past owner that you don't really like. Yeah, and you isn't want something it, a little different. And isn't it true, too, like, when you're the owner, not only, like, the flavor stuff, but, like, in my house, I mean, I buy a house in January, Um I had a list, dude. There was a list, just things. And, and I don't know if the previous owner was just like, they knew they were on their way out. It's kind of had short timer syndrome and was like, eh. Stopped me. That ain't working. <laughs> Whatever. Chalk it up. Next next dude can deal with that. So I've had a list and I've been banging it out solidly. Nothing major, but uh, you bet I've been out spending money at the little home improvement shops around town trying to get the little things banged off the list. Like a drawer pull not working right or a... You know, a leak by the shower door, little things like that. You just you want to get it all buttoned up because it's you are going to be there for a long time. We want to maintain everything that um, is going to prove to be a bigger issue later. So um, I did think it was really interesting, though, that said that um, job growth is going to keep this um, the the non manufacturing industries in the U.S. like home improvement retailers busy. And and even cited that um, job growth, which is better than originally forecast. Has the job growth truly been better than originally forecast? And I'm tying this back to um, one of my favorite statements recently, Lawrence Yun, that, that chief economist at the National Association of Realtors. He said that in spite of increasing interest rates, the housing economy is still going to be amazing and appreciate because of credit standards for underwriting going back to normal and a strongly recovered um, jobs market. And I'm like, 
Well, if you think about where we are at in the recovery of jobs currently, and with the mind that it can really, that, that it's only getting better, whether it's, whether we're seeing it, you know, an aberration here or there, I, th I think we can see that clearly over the past four years, the jobs market has improved. We're seeing less people laid off. We're seeing a, a slow and steady decline in the unemployment rate. We're seeing jobs added. Um, so just imagine when we start seeing more head of household jobs being created or when we start seeing even less people being laid off. Um, when we start seeing that, the housing market's only going to improve more because we're gonna have more people with, with money to spend and more confidence, like you were saying, which is a big driver of, of our, um, a lot of our patterns. So yeah, I, could, I can see that. I don't know that the job growth is going to be robust in the in the near term but it's going to improve and that's only going to improve where we're at with housing i think what's interesting with housing i kind of shifting gears here just a little bit um i kind of wanted to offer our listeners a little snapshot of of markets and what different real estate markets are looking like um i have well we've had we've had wes burke from patterson realty on and and we've talked with him in the last couple of months about the state of home buying here in San Luis Obispo County, and it's it's changed from the beginning of the year to now. We've really seen uh, the feverish pace and the 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 way homes are being purchased, the way offers are being accepted, really change. It's it's less of a circus now. It's it's a little more normal here locally. Um, I have an aunt who is up in the Sacramento area, and it's. It has not changed up there. It's still a frenzy. It's still crazy. We're still seeing the strategy up there where realtors are listing a home for a little bit under market and only accepting offers on one day. And it goes to the, you know, the, the top three get a chance to refresh their price. Right. Um, that's that's the market up in Sacramento. And she said it's it's crazy competitive up there. It's really hard. They've been looking for a while. In fact, <laughs> They're living in uh, my uncle's mother's house with my uncle's mother, so they're they're really they're trying to motivated move. buyers. <laughs> they've got they've got their two teenage kids, dang, living in mom's you know mother in law's house. They're eager to move, they're and motivated. they're they're struggling to find a house and and get a, an offer accepted. That's what Sacramento's looking like right now. So it has not changed, even with rates popping by a percent and a half in the last couple of months still a crazy frenzy yeah. so that's where wow. you're getting statements from guys like lawrence young the um, chief economist with national association of realtors saying that higher rates aren't going to change what we're seeing in housing right now that's true and when you look at the bigger metros that's truly what's happening san luis obispo we've always known as a little bit of a different market so it did have things settle down here a little bit um so back to our market a couple of our loan officers attended the Scenic Coast Association of Realtors um, weekly MLS meeting and and caravan. So every week, the different associations get together. They have a meeting, and then they go out on caravan, and they look at the new homes on the market. And the feedback that I got from a couple of the loan officers was that um, folks looking to sell their homes now are a little bit out of touch, that 
They're seeing demanding the, too much. They're, they're seeing, seeing the, headlines. the headlines of home price appreciation back in double digits. And so some of the new listings are on the coast. I'm just going to speak to that market because that's what I do know um, that it was very interesting to see some some of the homes being listed in the six and seven hundred thousand dollar range that clearly are overpriced. So either that's a sign of confidence or maybe more of a speculative sale <laughs> or right. something. But it's interesting, interesting to yeah. see what um, what the headlines are doing to folks around here. Hey, man, I'm an expert on everything now. I sit down at night with my iPad and my lap. I'm just hooked into the Wi-Fi. It doesn't matter. I could be buying some new baseball shoes. I'm going to see where the best deal is. I mean, I might I might even get them from China. Like, just straight <laughs> shipped. It doesn't matter. I, it, my point is you can go on and research and read about and see all these headlines. If you're thinking about selling your house, I got to imagine most people now um, – we're not a good measure of what normal is in this way because we're in this industry. But if you just like, we're, let's say you work for the city and you just, it's time to like sell your house because you're going to upgrade or move or whatever. Don't you start reading and seeing all this stuff and hear people saying that, man, this is, you can mop up right now. People are overbidding, fighting over each other to, to pay you more. Um, and then you sit down with the realtor and the realtor says, I think we could sell your house for five fifty. You go, I'll bet you can sell it for more than that, cowboy. But you could do six ten. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you put it on for five seventy and we'll let one of them bidding war things happen? <laughs> you know that's happening. Yeah. In fact, some of the listings that were seen on Caravan on in the the coast, north coast area on Friday were flips. They were oh, folks yeah. going in, doing some repair and looking for um a significant pickup in price. So I can only think that that's because the headlines are showing 12 plus percent appreciation year over year. And, and that's, what's driving the pricing strategies. Um, already with the flips though. So what's interesting is, uh, some of the other numbers here with, you know, here we are Ho home prices climb 12.4% in July. 99 out of a of the 100 largest cities in the country reported annual gains. Home prices in Nevada, the state of Nevada, leading all states in appreciation at 27%. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. California's not far behind. California's around 24% for the state. You go just into the Southern California region, and we start to get into the, the 25 26% appreciation year-over-year -year range. So that's what's driving driving things here construction spending so now the builders are saying wow you know we can build homes and make money again construction activities up 0.6 percent uh we're seeing new projects coming onto market um here locally and and all over the country um now the the builders are are gaining confidence and spending more money we're starting to see construction money become available yep. to people in fact, I want to talk a lot about that in the next segment. Some of the different loan programs that are telltale signs of an, an improved morale, at least amongst the banks. Okay. The, the pr types of programs that are being offered and the way that they're beginning to roll this stuff out, you can actually really see. Before we move on completely from um, that house price talk, 
There was an interesting piece this week um, coming from CoreLogic. Now, just as a little bit of background, CoreLogic is uh, very reputable. They're a big company a, 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 because of the scope and size of the various um, things in their business that they offer. They have a lot of data to support um, findings. And these guys reported that home prices including distressed sales, increased 12.4% nationwide. Um, in 2013 compared to 12, um, going on to say that they had a, um, that we are just 17% below the peak of April of 2006. Wow. Remember when it was like 30 to 50 everywhere and he kind of like, you sit back and said, yeah, but look at when three hundred thousand becomes one fifty, that that's a fifty percent reduction in home value, and now if you have six percent appreciation in a year, which is the high side of normal, six percent of one fifty, you know what you've got? What is that? Um, Forty five hundred dollars. Yeah. Right? No, it can't be. It's got to be more because on a hundred would be six, 9,000 bucks is what it is. So $9,000 in gains at 6%. So you go from 150, you make the high side of average appreciation. Now you're 159. So you have to make seemingly a lifetime of these like 6% gains. You can only pray that you might catch a nine or a 12, a 15 or a 24 in a year. Remember when we were a couple years ago wading through all these bank-owned properties and we were saying things like, oh, we're never going to see 15 and 25% appreciation a year. You just read an article that was all about 25% appreciation, um, and we picked up 12.4 nationally. I'm fascinated by this. Uh, <laughs> absolutely fascinated. I can't believe the pace of appreciation. Um, well, because there were supposed to be a whole bunch – more houses. You remember that shadow inventory? Yeah, those were all coming. What, what well, happened and to it, those? And so it turns out the flip side of the coin is we didn't build homes for seven years. We haven't built homes for seven years. And if that doesn't mean anything to you right now, there was a kid on his first day of school when this recession started that now has his um, – he's a board-certified physician. There is – a whole generation of home buyers today that are going, hey, where's the houses? There's not enough houses. Surprise, surprise. Um, this story of your aunt and their living situation they're so eager to bust out of, um, that's a common one. Those people are everywhere. We haven't built enough houses. So that being said, um, there's a lot to talk about in terms of construction, the numbers there as the, the growth and rise of construction, and now the return of construction financing. And we've even seen this um, ever-elusive land financing come back into the mix. So I want to do a little break here. I want to come back. I want to talk more about that, talk about how the industry has geared us up to build a lot of houses. And that's probably the new bright spot of the economy. So we're talk about more after this break with Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We all have friends and family. 
people we know and trust. But when it comes to something as complicated and important as a mortgage, you need advice from a true financial expert. At Central Coast Lending, we commonly meet with people who received bad advice from someone they know and trust. Remember, no one has ever lost money from a second opinion. So before you sign, let Central Coast Lending take a look at your loan. Call us today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending the mortgage experts what a state of generosity look what my agent got for me just by switching to state farm a few hundred unexpected bucks i couldn't ask for more but now i've got to figure out what i should use it for a new bike would be radical but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm get to a better state state farm Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Yeah. All right, guys. We are back. 1127 here, 7th of September, first show of September. I found myself wondering during the break, what are we doing here? <laughs> what should we be doing? Talking more about loans. We should be. We should be. As you guys know, Jason and I started a little company called Central Coast Lending just about five and a half years ago. Dang, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's a lifetime. And... Um, you know, we try to do this show to keep you on the cutting edge, let you know what's happening in the industry, real estate, mortgage, or just housing in general. And one of the exciting developments in the last um, year has been a return of construction money becoming available. And a lot of it has to do with the recovery we've seen in housing. It has been one of the bright spots, probably the primary driver of the general recovery that we've seen both in jobs and consumer confidence, things like that is the recovery of equity. Um, the, the feeling that personal wealth has increased in the last few years because the home is worth more. That's been, that's a big confidence booster for the American public. And it's, um, the, the banks are getting excited about it now. The banks are seeing the opportunity. Builders are seeing the opportunity that now that we're, we're past the, 
the short sale and bank owned inventory that there's actually opportunity again in building new homes. There's an opportunity to buy land, build the house, improve the property and make a profit. Now, even with construction financing, with that interest being paid. Um, so that's, we wanted to, where we kind of wanted to turn now for the last little chunk of the show here. So we've been blogging about it. Um, we've been advertising that we're capable of doing some construction lending. My phone has blown up this week. I got at least two calls a day, every day from people that are looking for construction loans. So, um, I, I feel like you're a little bit kind of more pro about it than I am because you've had some more hands-on experience, at least with the particular company. Uh, but you know, just as a, a little bit of an overview here, uh, before we start talking some of the technical stuff, I'll tell you um, just broadly about construction loans. I'm sure there's a bunch of people that have never done them before. There's some people that have. Um, generally speaking, construction loan, the process begins by uh, some evaluation of the borrower and evaluation of the project. What do you intend to do? Um, you kind of get the permits and plans together are usually pretty quick the first step. The bank wants to see your permits and plans to know that you're the real deal. You've already, at that point, generally laid out a little bit of money. Um, if you have already financed the lot at that point, um, usually you have the lot taken care of. Some of these loans will actually do the land and the construction. But you kind of come to the investor with, uh, permits and plans for what your project intends to be. They do um, an appraisal on the property as built. What what would it fetch? If you had a brand new 2,300 square foot, four bedroom, three bath with a two car garage and these kinds of amenities and upgrades, what would it sell for? Um, and so you have your kind of your as built value. So there's a cost to build and let's just say on that 2,300 square foot house, that, that cost in and of itself might be $350,000. But then there's an as-built value that might be $500,000. And so the, that difference in there, the, the bank will evaluate it both ways. And they, they make loans. These construction loans are generally based on the as-built value of the home. So if you've got land and equity in your land, perhaps you own it outright or it's only marginally financed, they'll add up the actual cost of construction um, and then take the as-built value taken into consideration your equity in your land and loan in some cases up to, um, we've heard 70, um, 75, sometimes as high as 80%. So that, that basically suggests that construction and development is um, in much better, uh, it, it's attainable now. We laughed a couple years ago. People said, I'm, I just can't find a house anywhere. Um, how about I just, I'm just going to buy one of those lots in Santa Margarita. I'm just going to build one. You know, oh, that was good for a good belly laugh. Thanks. Absolutely not. Nobody is loaning money for construction. The market is way too um, fragile and 
just unknown. Nobody wants to be caught with their pants. I mean, half of these banks were still unwinding projects they already owned that were wrapped in Tyvek or just a, a footing poured out in the middle of nowhere with the plans nowhere to be found and everybody kind of run off from the project. So they needed more time to sort through getting those projects um, reconveyed to some other party that would finish them or finishing themselves and being able to sell them um, any variety of ways of, of solving those problems. But I think that's done now. I mean, even if you look around town, there's been in some in Morro Bay for sure that I know of, and there's been some out on broad that we've seen that had Tyvek whipping in the wind for years on end. Those things are buttoned up now. So are there um, some like in the Tascadero too, where they have the streets that go to nowhere still. And <laughs> there's a couple of those. Yeah. The when it's just streets though, like in the bank loaned on um or got ready to do construct, usually the developer would have been laying down the dough to like pave out the cul-de-sac and have mm -hmm. the lots kind of split. But yeah, there's still some of those in Tascadero. Mm -hmm. I don't think Tascadero's quite healed in that respect yet, but um, Dove Creek resumed yeah, building out some of those later phases that they had phases they thought they were going to be done with in 2006 that are just finishing up now. So that's... That's kind of exciting to, to see all that stuff roll through. And it's because those the, of that healing that that now the, the profitability in building is is restored. Back when when there were all the short sales and, and REO properties, banks it, it just didn't make financial sense to even offer the money. Be, you know, banks don't banks want to have a little bit of equity in the project when they're lending out the construction money. But they couldn't lend out enough money to protect their interest and also have enough money in the builder's hands to complete the project. Right. Uh, so that it just it wouldn't the numbers didn't work unless the builder had a lot of cash to be able to sink into the project as well. And even then, it just it, you couldn't build it for what you could sell it for. So there's, it just didn't make sense. Right. That has changed now. Now there's the opportunity for a builder to make a profit for the banks to make their money on on loaning the construction funds. So the machine is is slowly getting up and running again. And what's exciting is is that these construction loans are available um, for the owner build as well as the spec build. Um, the there is a little bit of of opportunity again. We kick those terms around a bit just for sake of folks that are out there listening. The 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 primary difference here between the two one is like an an owner build where you identify a piece of land that you want to build a house for yourself on, and that makes a pretty big difference to the bank. Frankly, whether or not you've done this before, they like it when you're building yourself a house because you're going to be so much more on top of every detail and, and ma making sure that it goes exactly how it's intended to go. It's for your family. The other is a speculative build. And this kind of build, we call it a spec build a lot, is typically an investor, whether it's an individual or a group, uh, decides to build a house with the idea of selling it. And with any luck at all, they'll... Um, They'll put it in the MLS as soon as they begin construction on it. With any luck at all, they'll sell it before they're done building it, um, giving the new owner opportunity to come in midstream and maybe pick out finishing touches, what kind of carpet they'd like or countertops, tiles, um, choose some appliances and lighting fixtures and, and that kind of exciting thing. Um, and so, Dan, you touched on it. We 
we're seeing financing now for both. We actually can say with confidence that we can accept a loan application from somebody with the desire to complete either type of project. And we have um, op options of where to send these kinds of loans for financing. That's exciting. Um, it's been a fun evolution. And just to recap a few of these things, because I, I've said the same things for years on end, um, I'll believe that housing has recovered and is recovering when I don't know anybody that hasn't made a mortgage payment in two years. I said check said that a few months ago. I don't know anybody anymore. I don't know anybody that hasn't made their mortgage payment lately. I everybody I know is resolved, and you know the world according to Jason Grody is immediately uh, what I can see and experience. I'm telling you, there's nobody else late on their mortgage anywhere. Um, secondly. Uh, I'll buy it that we've recovered when we start building houses again. I grew up the son of a contractor. To me, that's when the economy is actually working is when we've got dudes with leather boots out getting dusty in a day. Um, and I'm seeing that now. That's exciting stuff. And the fact that the banks finally have now figured out um, risk-wise that there's enough fat in it to be able to build a house. Because even if you, owner-builder, um, or with your contract or whatever the circumstances are, you go belly up for any number of reasons. Maybe you die in the middle of, a, of the build. Um, the housing economy is such right now that they can come in and they can finish the project, um, hiring it out to somebody else. And even if it goes slightly over budget, they're going to be able to sell it for what they're into it for. Um, that confidence is why they're offering these loans now. So to me, tying this back to what we were talking about earlier, jobs, bam. How many people, I mean, we know that one house built creates, what was it, seven full-time jobs for a year or something like that? Is it three? I've, yeah, I've seen I'm different numbers. I've seen three or four full-time jobs for a year. Okay. That being said, um, we got houses going up. There's projects all around town. Everywhere you look, we're learning about all these new awesome projects. And now individuals are able to get out and build stuff. So it to me, um, on that little list, I'll buy it that the economy is, is recovered when I see the return of construction financing. That's more or less emerging right now. I mean, it's been the last couple of months. Um, so it's make, that's making up to me, some really critical components of a recovery. And so, again, it's one of these things where it's a, it, it is, it's kind of a self-feeding prophecy here. Um, is it the chicken or the egg? Well, I don't know. But if the banks got confident and they offered the loan program programs and now somebody comes out and builds a house and can hire three people, and then those three people can go spend money on back-to-school shopping and fall out of the unemployment claims, um, what did that? Uh, really, nothing more than some confidence. That's where the rubber meets the road. And so it's exciting to me that we see that confidence now um, in a big way. So just to give you a, a clearer idea of, of what construction lending looks like, it can start with the acquisition of the land. Either you own the land already outright and you know, working on the, the permits and plans that you need to begin the building phase, or you need to actually acquire the land. And sometimes you can even acquire land where the plans and permits, in fact, right now that, or we're coming off the heels of seeing that a lot because a lot of people got into projects they couldn't complete for financial reasons. So you might even find a piece of land where 
permits and or plans are already approved and in place and ready you're ready to go as soon as you yep. acquire the land um, so depending on what stage you're at you may need to finance the purchase of the land which is possible now you can do that generally you're going to need about a 40 percent um, down payment on the land in order to finance it and generally for the land acquisition piece it is going to have to be an owner build type situation um for land financing for the land financing yeah that's that's one of the big differentiating factors here if it's your intention that you and a buddy are gonna pull some strings and have a house built to sell for profit like this you gotta own the dirt you're gonna need to be staked in the land but when it's an owner build situation we can get financing for the purchase of the lot so that you can then go out and get the permits and plans taken care of when you are then ready to break ground and start construction on your land that's when you go and get your construction financing. The construction financing will replace any lot financing that you have. Construction financing will be the only loan on this property when you're ready to break ground. Um, and one of the keys with construction financing is finding a lender that will incrementally fund your project. That's gonna be a big cost savings for the homeowner or builder is an incrementally funded construction loan. And what that means is as, as you break ground, you're gonna first do your site work. You're gonna, you're gonna start to you know, terrace your land or, or you're gonna start to prep it for foundation. You're gonna need to, to make it level and flat and, and do those kind of things. That's phase one. Then you're gonna start doing your foundation work and that's the next phase. And once the foundation's done, you're gonna need to start to do framing and then you start buttoning up walls, doing roofs, doing finishes. There's these different phases of construction and the funding can be released in phases so that you're not paying interest on the entire loan for the entire period of time. Yeah, That's so if, if you're gonna spend $30,000 on site work, you know, grading, a little retaining wall, whatever, to get initially ramped up, be nice to take that 30,000 bucks out at that point, deploy it, get that piece of work done, and now it's time to do footing or slab, whatever you're gonna do. Um, another chunk, 30,000 bucks or whatever, that's what you're gonna do at that point. Trusses and framing and these things, it's nice to be able to take that out in chunks so that you don't, if you're just handed 350 on day one, now you've got 300 meters running on 350,000 bucks the whole way through, you may not be ready to spend that last 100,000 and for the last, you know, a couple months of the project. So it's, it is great to have them incrementally fund. That's a really attractive feature. Um, the other thing about these loans too, is that just to be careful of, if, if you're involved in a construction deal, um, I've seen number one, those non-incrementally funded loans, those are just a little bit higher cost, but at the same time, um, if you're doing it for owner occupied or a spec build, um, to have an idea of what you're going to do at the, the maturation of that construction loan to come with a game plan, the construction loans that we offer, we will not do a construction loan unless we're very confident that we're going to be able to do what's called a takeout loan where we'll refinance your construction loan into long-term financing. I've seen some really damaging terms and conditions to construction loans through the years where somebody gets a loan that's intended to be an 18-month loan 
and due to hurricane whatever um the lumber for the trusses gets kind of interrupted the trust company gets behind next thing you know the whole project is beginning to back up and they get on down to the 18th month and they're just they need another month or two to button up the whole project uh, before they either sell it or finance it Um, because you can't do a loan you can't get like a fannie mae loan on a house that's 90 percent built and then the construction lender comes back and says we made a deal to give you this money for nine or 12 or 18 months whatever your term was and in order to get an extension, they start giving 30-day extensions or 90-day extensions for points. And that can add up very quick. So you got to pay real close attention to those kinds of terms about the loan. Um, and I would never take a construction loan personally unless I knew that the takeout loan was going to be something that's okay. And when we pre-qualify somebody for a takeout loan, um, like if I'm doing that for you today... I'm basing it on like a six or something percent interest rate, far higher than the current market to provide a good conservative buffer to make sure that you're not marginally qualified. Um, Everybody that comes in to get a construction loan, they want it. They feel excited at the idea of getting it, but they don't want to be handed a bunch of money that they're not going to be able to figure out how to bail out of later uh, with a long-term loan, you know, and who wants to go through and build their dream home and then be forced to sell it at the end? Um, seen it happen before. So we do, Hey guys, we got to take the final commercial break here of the show. We'll get back and we'll, we'll wrap up this discussion about construction financing and a couple of other little loan things that I want to share with you. So stick with us after this last break for more mortgage matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. When it comes to your mortgage, do you pay points or do you take the no-cost loan? Don't let your loan officer or banker choose for you. At Central Coast Lending, we help you decide. Numbers don't lie. We teach you to do the math so you can cut through the salesmanship and get the best loan for you. Because we can't be beat, we'll even teach you how to shop and compare other offers. We don't charge upfront fees, and we value every client. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543 543- 5626 Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. There's not long to go. We only got about another 10 minutes with you here and uh, just wanted to to button up the final moving parts. Um, super excited about the construction loan stuff. Um, if it piques your curiosity, you can, you can call us. We'd love to talk more with you about it. Um, it seems like we turned people away for the last several years. Nope, no construction money. Don't. Don't even ask. It's not not even possible. Um, so I I'm not surprised to see people kind of coming out of the woodwork for this. If you're interested in it at all, you can give us a call. The number to the office is five four three loan, which is five four three five six two six. We would love to hear from you about construction loans. We're eager. I I kind of actually um, and am, am envisioning Central Coast Lending becoming one of the premier. Um, construction lenders in the county and we'll always stick to the institutional ones i i don't want to end up in jail dan <laughs> like all those other guys that did construction loan stuff me either i met with some clients this week that were refinancing and their previous loan um was done by a loan officer that went to jail shortly after having done their loan and they were like, we've always kind of wondered if there was something about our loan that may have been really bad, too. And I'm like, well, probably not. I mean, I don't know much about how it was conducted, but generally speaking, an FHA loan submitted to a, to an FHA lender, you're not there's not too much could be done there to harm you. But um, a lot of those dudes did end up in jail. A lot of loan officers from the, I guess, I don't know. Is it just San Luis? It's got to be everywhere. Yeah, I think it's everywhere. I read about a lot of them. Other things that I wanted to just mention to you guys in terms of loan stuff, um, you know, it's, it is it is a fact lately interest rates have gone higher. Um, I am meeting with a client in the coming week here that has a 6.5% first. And a second, um, a second that's variable. And that's really appealing to me because, first of all, the interest rate's so much less than what her current rate is that being able to refinance, even in this new environment of slightly higher rates, um, is going to accomplish uh, some objectives of, number one, lowering her overall payments, number two, 
paying off a second that is variable and getting it into a fixed rate loan and accomplishing all of that that's less than the note rate of the existing first. Oftentimes people come in and they have like a, a good low first, but they've got like a second that's higher and they, they want to redo the first, but, or, you know, they don't want to redo the first because the rate's low, but they kind of have to because they need cash out for the second. Um, so that's always a good spot. If you have a second lien that you've used for home improvement or one of these other types of, um, you know, uses where you maybe have 50 or 60 or $100,000 out on a second, it's a great time to look into getting that fixed. Um, we can do a, an analysis for you to see if it would make sense to, to roll the whole thing into one fixed rate loan. Um, another, another thing here worth talking about is given that property values have gone up, I mean, we shared earlier in the show that they've gone up by 12 and a half percent nationally. Um, California seems like it's widely accepted to have gone up 24% in the last, is that the last year, Dan, or just parts of California having gone up 24%? It's year over year figures for the state of California. So that being said, we've seen appreciation in most every part of the state. If you have mortgage insurance of any type, um, it's worth looking into. Now, I can't just say that you're going to refinance into a conventional loan and you're going to get rid of your mortgage insurance altogether. That's not always the smartest thing to do. We need to make a pretty careful evaluation of what your current interest rate is on that loan. Um, and also what the mortgage insurance is. Here's what I'm getting at. If the mortgage insurance may be able to go away after only five years um, and you have a three and a half first, we don't have three and a half firsts anymore. So I don't want to give you a four and a quarter first just to make the mortgage insurance go away if it's going to go away soon anyway. If you have mortgage insurance that may last for 10 plus years, that can be some real cause to, to crunch some numbers and see. So my point is, you don't know what kind of mortgage insurance you have. You don't know how to evaluate that. You don't know if it's going away in two years. You don't know if it's going away in 10 years. Um, I will. I can tell you what documentation to bring me. I can tell you how we can evaluate it. So if you bought a house in the last few years or you had to refinance into some kind of loan with mortgage insurance, um, let's look at that. Let's see if it's possible to, to refinance you and get out of that. Um, or else, at, at worst, what you're going to leave the meeting with is an idea of when your mortgage insurance can go away. Um, some of these mortgage insurance can go away based on market value, right? If you buy a house for 300000 and you have mortgage insurance, and by way of appreciation, after only two years, the house is worth 390000 um, there are parts of the county where that's happened that there are kinds of mortgage insurance where that can, that can stop. If you have an FHA loan, for example, they do not count market appreciation at all in that number. So your house can be worth a million bucks in terms of what your neighbors have uh, driven the value up to. It's always based on the original terms of the loan and by amortization. So the only way that you can gain that equity 
to make your mortgage insurance go away on an FHA loan is by making increased payments either regularly every month or making lump sum payments. Um, and they still have minimum terms of five years on some of the older loans, 11 on some of the newer. My point is you don't know how to evaluate all of that and we do. So if you have mortgage insurance of any type, you should reach out to us so that we can sit down, do some math and, and give you an idea of whether we can make it go away or how soon it will go away on its own or if there's anything you can do to make it go away sooner. That's the kind of help that we like to give. I was meeting with one of our banking affiliates, um, one of the folks that we sell loans to, and they, it just so happened I was thinking about this this week, um, we're, we're still currently in this environment where there's a lot of support for the mortgage industry from the government. And one of the key things that they did was they, the federal government increased the maximum loan amount that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac would purchase. Um, currently in our county, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you can get the, the rock bottom Fannie Freddie interest rates up to a loan amount of 561200 in San Luis Obispo County. Um, there is a lot of talk that that loan limit may be reduced back down to its $417,000 limit at the, con at the end of this year. Yeah. So if you have one of those larger loan amounts where you could take advantage of of the loan programs that are available today, know that there there's a looming sunset on this um, temporary, it's called a high balance loan amount. After the end of this year, it's likely that loans greater than $417,000 will be considered jumbo mortgages once again, and subject to um, tighter lending criteria and higher interest rates. So that's, a you know, I'm not trying to be an alarmist, trying to be a source of information and, and call to action for anyone that this um, high balance loan could help because it's not going to be here for a lot longer. Yeah. I like to think that those people that had those kinds of loans have already done their refinancing. But every time I think that more people come forward that we're in a, a I would just wonder, I'm like, Oh, where were you? How how did you miss the several opportunities to have refinanced into like when rates were the lowest they've ever been? I don't think they're going back into the 3% land probably ever. Um, so the bottom low of the lows are probably behind us. That being said, historically low, still unbelievably low. Um, if you're listening and you don't think so, go ask somebody that had a mortgage in the 70s or 80s. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you with any of your loan needs this week. You can find us on the web. We're at centralcoastlending.com. Our website is packed full of resources that we hope that you'll enjoy. There's something there for everybody. If you like the technical market stuff or if you like uh, reading about uh, just fun little things going on around the county, check it out at centralcoastlending.com. Otherwise, Give us a call this week if you want to talk about whether or not you uh, missed a refi opportunity or if it's still po a potential for you, if you can get rid of your mortgage insurance, any of that stuff. 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Thanks so much for being here. See you next week.